Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards, and if you want to live the best life possible, you're at the right place. Jesus came to give you an abundant life. Jesus came so you could have a life that really that, that, that was supernatural in some ways in that, in that it's just it's so good that everybody would want what you got. Now, you may be sitting there saying, I, I just can't believe that because that's not the way my life is. Well, you know something? I'm all about sharing things with you that Jesus taught that somehow or another religion stole from us. Uh, tradition hid it from us. And, and, but you know what? The moment we open our eyes to and see the truth of God's word uh, in those areas, I'm not saying you don't see the truth of God's word. I'm talking about in some specific areas. It's amazing how the quality of your life can get better. You know, today we're going to be talking about or we're going to be answering the question, who's Control of my in control of my life. Who's controlling my life? Now, you know, um, we're going to touch on some things today. That just to be honest, now I'm telling you, you you've never heard some of this stuff before. It's in the Bible, and you'll see this in the Bible. You can do your own research, and I want you to do your own research. I don't want you to accept anything just because just because I say it. I want you to look in the Word of God and see if the if the Word of God presents it. Now. <clears throat> Jesus showed up on the scene. And of course, Jesus is our Lord. He's our Savior. But uh, one of the interesting things that Jesus did is his entire ministry, his predominant message. Now, you know, there were some messages that he preached in response to questions that people asked him. But by and large, all of his messages were about entering into a realm called the kingdom of God. And for really, you know, I, I've been walking with God nearly 50 years. And from the very beginning, I was taught that the kingdom of God w was what happened when you got saved. You entered into the kingdom of God when you got saved. But as we've talked about in some previous messages, uh, really, uh, John said that when John 3, 3, he says, when, when you get born again, then you can see or perceive the kingdom. Getting born again, you know, that's getting born again is sort of like a child being born into a family. And because of the fact that they're born into that family, they're going to, uh, more particularly if it's a wealthy family, and you know what, the kingdom of God is a wealthy family uh, with resources and, and royalty and dignity and worth, all those things. But, but you know, when a baby comes into this, into this world, even though all of those things are potentially and legally theirs, because it's what their parents want them to have, uh, I don't know about you, but, but my kids didn't perceive how good of a life that they could have until, until they got older, until they got more mature, and, still, and until they started applying uh, some of these principles about how to enjoy this good life. Now, applying those principles didn't mean they earned 
what they, what they would inherit or didn't mean they earned the outcome. It just, it just meant that they functioned in a way that they did not alienate themselves from the outcome. Now see, that's part of what the, the story of the, of the prodigal is about somebody who was born into a family the inheritance was theirs. Everything that the father had, you know, he, he shared with his sons. And this person alienated himself from the family and the family's resources and, and went out here and pursued this reckless, crazy life and ended up uh, feeding pigs. And pretty much the only food that he could eat was the food that was in the pig pen or that he was feeding to the pigs. He was so, so he was starving. And he finally said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to my father's house and I'll just be a servant there, you know, because my servants in my father's house, I have it, you know, have it better than anybody here where, where I am. So, you know, the truth was he had never lost uh, his, his inheritance. He had never lost uh, the resources of the father. He had never lost the love of the father, but he could not perceive what the father was trying to do for him until he went through all of this and sorted all this out for himself and realized how, how foolish he was. So, you know, when we get born again, in a certain sense, it, we are like a little baby coming into this world. We really don't perceive the life that God has given us. We really don't perceive the resources that are available to us. Now, when we enter into this realm called the kingdom of God, as I've say repeatedly, we enter into this realm through our heart. Now, if you're not familiar with this concept, you need to get my book, Heaven on Earth, because, because Heaven on Earth, see, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And while, while these are overlapping truths, they both emphasize different benefits. You know, the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God is something that happens uh, after you're born again and, and when you decide you will live as a disciple. A disciple is a person who trusts what Jesus teach, teaches and builds his or her life on the teaching, the modeling uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once, once we have truly surrendered to him as Lord and we enter into that realm through our, the door of our heart, then we realize that we are in the realm of heaven on earth because, see, the kingdom of God represents a realm. The kingdom of heaven represents the resources that are within that realm. And all of the resources of heaven are available to us. Really, they're available to us all the time, but the ability to perceive them and perceive them as ours happens when we are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. You know, it's amazing how many believers are frustrated because they're over here in a totally different realm. They may, they're, they're Christians, they, they're expecting to go to heaven, they're trying to obey the word of God as much as they think they should or think they're supposed to, but they're over here in another realm saying, Lord, I need your resources over here where I am. And God, God is saying, no, you need to be over here where my resources are available. It's like when the Bible talks about the path of way of righteousness. It says in the way of righteousness, which is talking about a pathway, a path that we walk. In the way of righteousness. Now, I'm not talking about a righteousness where you're earning something. I'm not talking about walking this path to, to butter God up. I'm talking about when you 
when you, as a way of life and as a belief and a commitment of your heart, when you have chosen the way of righteousness, when you have chosen. And you know what? Righteousness, as much as anything, is only expressed when not only you're applying the Word of God or living the Word of God, but you're doing it from the motive of love. That's your reason for wanting to walk in God's Word because you want to treat people right. You want to treat people kind. You want people to see God. You, want pe you know what I mean? You don't want to hurt people. You want to help people. You want to lift people up. And so, but the Bible tells us that in this way or path, pathway of righteousness, there is life and there is no death. Well, you know, so some people say, you know what? I can't forgive that person for what they did. So, you know, they kind of take a detour off of the path of righteousness. And now they're walking the path of revenge or the path of bitterness or the path of anger. And they're going down this path and man, the briars are cutting them. You know, when I was a kid, we played in the woods all the time. I mean, that was our, that was our every, almost everyday experience. And it didn't matter if there was snow on the ground. It didn't matter unless it was just pouring down rain and we couldn't get down there. We, my brother and sometimes my sister, we were all down there playing in the woods, fishing and doing the stuff that, that redneck little kids in Tennessee did back in the early 50s for entertainment. And uh, uh, man, I'm telling you what, I can't even tell you how many times, you know, we would be running along some little, some little path in, in the woods to take a shortcut to where we were going and it would be overgrown and there would be thorns and there would be all, you know, all kinds of bushes that would have stickers and things. And I'm telling you, they just cut you to shreds. I mean, we would come home and we would look like somebody had, had applied to death by a thousand cuts on us. And it's and it hard. It's difficult. So we're over here walking down this path that the Bible would describe as crooked, uneven, uh, uh hard to tell exactly where you're supposed to walk, surrounded by thorns. We're walking down this path like, God, you know, why is all this pain? Am I going to stop all this stuff from happening, God? And God's like, well, I can't as long as you choose to walk that path. It's not a matter of earning. It's not a matter of, of I'll reward you for coming over here. It's just as simple as when we were kids. It's like, here's the path that we can get there. Take, you know, you know in, our, in our mind, well, it takes longer, so we need to, you know, we'll we, we take a shortcut. But, you know, one of, my, one of my gemisms is this. The longest at distance between two points and the most painful journey between two points is the shortcut. And I'm telling you, when we take the shortcut, it's always a mess. So God's just saying, look, I've, I've laid this out. This is not complicated. Uh, there's not one thing complicated about this unless you need to make it complicated to justify something that you don't want to do or something you do want to do. So, so just, just, just come over and walk this pathway. So in this path, there is life, there is no death. Over in that pathway, there might be some life, but there's also some death. Walk this pathway over here, there's a whole lot of death and destruction. So here's, here's an idea, walk this pathway. Choose to believe everything that God says as it was interpreted, taught, and modeled through the Lord Jesus Christ. Commit to Him as Lord and follow Him and, and choose to live a life of walking in love. Now, so you say, what in the world has that got to do with who's controlling my life? Now, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. Now, when Jesus came on the scene, he introduced us to the gospel. Now, paganism 
had introduced concepts, well, actually in the whole world until, uh, until Abraham came along and Abraham walked by faith. Uh, now faith, remember, faith is not believing you can get God to do something. Faith is not believing that you can convince God to do something or change God's mind about something. Faith is, this comes from the word trust and faith is where you trust what God has already said where you trust what God has already done. So when God promises you something through his word, you trust that and you trust him to, to bring it about. You don't have to go out and make it come about. So, so Abraham introduced the entire world to the walk of faith. Now, why was that so dramatic? See, in, in our life and time, we talk about faith all the time because most people don't know what they're talking about. And, and, but we talk about faith all the time and you know, everybody knows their salvation by faith, all that kind of stuff. Well, you gotta realize in Abraham's world, the gods were in control as far as they knew, as far as they believed. So the common belief was that the gods are in control and the gods, everything that happens in your life is a form of what's called fatalism. Everything that happens, what's in your life, you really have no control. You have no control of the outcome. The gods are using you as pawns to play their little games. And, uh, and the truth is you have no real control over your life. Now, you won't recognize this right off the bat, but the, now, but the good news of the message of the kingdom of God is first of all, nobody's in control of your life. Nobody outside of you. Now keep in mind, this fatalism that was a pagan belief actually eventually worked its way into what the, what the Jews believed. And so they started really very early in their journey incorporating their pagan beliefs in with what God said and, and develop many beliefs that to this very day are still absolutely present. One of the most destructive beliefs in the world today, one of the most destructive things that a person can believe, I mean, and if you want to get to where you hate God, uh, hold on to this belief. The most destructive belief in the world spiritually is that God is in control of everything. Now we call, we, the word that is used for that is sovereignty. The word sovereignty does not mean that God is in control of everything. The word sovereignty means that God is not acted upon by any outside source. He, he makes all of his decisions based on who he is, based on his character, his ethics. And so everything that God ever said was based on his own character and ethics. And we know that at the heart of who God is, more than anything else, God is love. Every other attribute of God, every other core attribute of God is always expressed from the motive of love. God has value for you. He cares about you. He wants you to have the best life possible. And I'm telling you, when you're reading scripture, and you can't see that in the scripture because it sounds so different. You've either got a problem, there's, there, there's either a translation problem or there's an interpretation problem. 
Now there's a lot of translation problems because, because the, the English Bible was translated in a time when the ideas about God were so filled with paganism that uh, there, there was no way to actually get a fair and accurate translation. But beyond translation, there is interpretation. And interpretation is the way you interpret things based on your culture, based on your belief, based on your background. Interpretation, uh, interpretation gets into how we're going to apply this truth too. You know, translation just says what. It explains what do the, it answers the questions. What do these words mean? What do these sentences mean? That's translation. Interpretation gets down to how do we understand this in light of the big picture? What does this mean that we need to do? What, is, what should our response be to that? So anytime you're not seeing the love of God, then it, there's either a, a translation problem or an interpretation problem, and, and you are not able, based on your cultural or religious beliefs, able to see why that particular action is for the good of the people who choose to walk with God. Now, I'll tell you what, God loves everybody, but I want you to understand, uh, uh, not everybody is in a relationship with God. God can't protect everybody else. He can only protect those who, number one, are in a, relation, in a relationship with Him and will follow Him as He leads. So God's always trying to protect us. So, but Adam, I mean, Abraham was the first person that broke the worldwide religious belief that the gods were in control. And then what did the Jews do? They incorporated that and twisted God's word. And Jesus came on the scene and showed us really what God looked like. He showed us the love of God. He showed us the patience of God. He showed us the kindness of God. He showed us how to interpret everything that God ever said. Uh, but what we fail to miss is that in the gospels, Jesus taught us because he was teaching about the kingdom of God and how we enter into this realm. And when we enter into this realm of the kingdom of God, because we have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, we've accepted his interpretation of the word of God. Uh, in other words, we've taken his yoke upon us. Then, then we start applying that as to how we're going to have this great life. Now, there is what I have said for generations, a golden thread through all the parables of the kingdom. And it is a thread that is unseen by most people. And that is the thread of personal responsibility. Now, personal responsibility is something that nearly nobody in the world wants. You know, you look at, you look at Freudian psychiatry. You look at uh, humanism. You look at socialism. You look at what's taught in churches and schools and from the government in almost every country in the world. And the underlying theme is you are a victim. You are not responsible for your behavior. You're not responsible for your actions. Therefore, it is the government's job to make sure you get a quality, the quality of life that is due to you. And you are turned into a victim who says, man, I can't have a good life apart from the government or somebody giving it to me. Uh, uh, you know, 
I can't choose the outcomes that I, that I want in life. Well, what you will discover is this. Every one of Jesus' parables actually about the kingdom teach us to make choices. They teach us that the outcomes, the negative outcomes that are revealed in the parables of the kingdom are because of the destructive, self-centered decisions that people make. The, the good outcomes are based on people making godly decisions and, you know, walking in love, walking in kindness. You know, when I first gave my life to the Lord, man, I'm telling you, I devoured the Bible. Actually, I still do. I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've never moved away from that. Uh, the Bible is where you learn how to live. It's where you learn how to get along with people. It's learn, learn how to connect to God. But it's also where you learn how to make choices that will always guarantee you a good outcome. Now, a verse that struck me, I'm telling you, this struck me I, the first few months I was saved. Probably my, I, I was reading through the New Testament either the first or second time. And of course came the book of Revelation, which I am telling you, you know, I had no clue what it was talking about. What, what's interesting, the, the, the little church I was attending, they were doing a verse by verse study of the book of Revelation. And uh, boy, I look back at that now and I think, man, what a mess. But uh, anyhow, I did get some valuable things out of it. But when we got to Revelation 21.8, I am telling you something stuck where it says, boy, there is something here we're missing and I got to figure out what it is. Revelation 21 is, is where John talks about seeing the, the new heavens and the earth have been created. New Jerusalem is now coming to to earth, because this is where we will spend eternity. God, heaven is not off out in the clouds out there somewhere floating around. We will spend eternity here with God. But there will be a new heavens and new earth. And I don't know what all that means, but, but, I, but I know it, it, it will overcome all that the sinful man has done to destroy planet earth. Because, because really we change. And so we have to have a totally different environment to live in. But in Revelation 21, 8, after he talks about new heaven, new earth, he talks about all the old things done away with, man, people connected to God. He says, but the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone. Now, and it says, and this is the second death. It so struck me that fear and unbelief was just as wicked to God as, all, uh, as immorality, as lying, as, uh, as all of these other things. You know, like when you, go look, when you go look at the works of the flesh, you're like, wait a minute, man, there's things in here that I'm surprised are in here. Well, we don't have time to get into all the reasons that are in there. But here, here's the thing it took me years to come to realize. People who are fearful, some, some translations will say timid. Some translations will say cowardly. People who are fearful and unbelieving. And uh, fear and unbelief always go hand in hand. Because if you don't believe the truth about God, then you are always going to be fearful in life. If you have fear in life, then you're always going to be afraid to believe. Now, fear and unbelief are actually, they, they actually produce 
a fruit. And this is so interesting because what you find, if you are filled with unbelief about who God, now remember, we're not talking about, about what you can pray God into doing. We're talking about what has God done for you specifically through the death, burial, and resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. What has God already said is yours. He doesn't have to say it again. He doesn't, there's no reason for him to say it again. You either believe it when he, since he's already said it or you're never really going to believe it. You know, we always convince ourselves, man, if God would just speak to me, well, you got a Bible. And besides that, God probably is trying to speak to you. You're just not willing to hear it. But the fruit of fear and unbelief is always victimhood. You say, well, how could it be victimhood? Because the moment you become fearful or unwilling to make decisions about the quality of your life, the moment you do that now, you have succumbed to being a victim. Listen, let me, let me just mention this, by the way. I just want to take a couple of minutes. You know, I put together a great package for you. You want, you, want to, you want to learn how to have heaven on earth. You want to get the keys that will close the door to all the pain and suffering in your life and will open the door to all the blessings. Well, you know what? I'm giving you the tools to do it. So look at our package this month. You might want to check it out. And uh, 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 because, because we put this together, we're giving you a book. We're giving you a put a prayer organizer in it. We put a really important series in here. And I'm telling you, telling you something, it's going to equip you to know how to do exactly what it is I'm talking about. Because the keys of the kingdom that Jesus said we could operate, now keys into the kingdom, keys of the kingdom, those keys are knowing that we have the power to bind and loose. Now binding and loosing is not about fighting with the devil. You don't have to fight with the devil. You just have to close the door. You know, if the devil wants to get, get into your house and he's on the front porch, you know, you don't stand there and scream at him like, don't come in, don't come in, don't come in. No, you just close the door. It's pretty simple. Close the door, lock the door, that's it. Can't get in. So the willingness to make decisions is where you are willing to act on what God has already said. You know, here's one of these scriptures people don't get. The book of James, second chapter, you know, it, it talks about the faith of Abraham. It talks about how that Abraham put works with his faith. Now, there's some people that reject the book of James and they reject this scripture because uh, they turn it into dead works. Well, I'll tell you something. We're called to good works and good works are based on a, on a true faith because belief is always manifest by what you do, by what you put into practice. Whatever you are putting into practice is what you believe will work for you, is what you believe will get you the quality of life that you want. But James says, now look, it doesn't matter that you say you believe. He says, even the devil believes the information and trembles, but you know, he never comes to repentance. He never puts any of it into practice. So that's why James 2.20 says, but do you know, O foolish man, or do you want to know, one translation says, that faith without works is dead. Faith that does not produce something is dead faith. It's not real faith. It's not really a true confidence in God. It's not really trusting what God has said to such a degree that you actually commit your life. And that, that's the real works of faith, is committing yourself 
to what God says. That's the way you're going to plan your life. But mainly that's the way you're going to make the decisions. And I'm telling you what I want to teach you. And I hope you've listened to this whole broadcast series. This is the fifth week in it. And I'm telling you what. And I hope you even want to go farther. You can get the whole bundle, by the way, or you can just get any individual part of the bundle. But the key thing is this. You want to move forward and you want to know how to make the decisions that close the door to the curses, open the door to the blessings. And you got to have some confidence in God. Listen, if you like this, if you enjoy this, be sure if you're watching on YouTube uh, to, to, to make comments, to share positive things. Be sure to <clears throat> like my YouTube page. That way thousands more people will see it every day. And also uh, share this with people that you know that, that it will help. Now listen, every week we're making a journey together about how to be a disciple, how to have the best life possible, how to have heaven on earth. So be back with me. We're going to look at this again every week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.